Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Queer I Am, the podcast. I am so pleased to release this interview to you. Last year, I read a book called Young Mungo, one of, if not the best fiction books I've ever read, and it certainly was a highlight of my reading in 2022. I was so fortunate to get to sit down recently with the author, Douglas Stewart, to chat about this outstanding book, which you can now get on paperback. Young Mungo is an incredible book which showcases the development of a young queer relationship and love story and is set in Glasgow. It's surrounded by chaos, drama, toxic family relationships and gang violence. It's a story of someone being told who they should be, but discovering who they really are and tapping into an inner strength at a time they need it the most. You will be absolutely gripped. This is a must-read book, so if you haven't got a copy, please go and grab one. Thank you so much to Douglas for your time, for speaking with me and congratulations on this amazing book, which will be a TV drama in the future. I really hope to speak to you again soon. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. Hi Douglas, thank you so much for talking with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Andrew. I just uh, got into London, which is always a, a treat. Amazing. And uh, sorry, from New York, you were saying yesterday, you flew back in from New York. Yeah, I flew, I live in New York, even though I have a Scottish accent. I've been oh, there. amazing. Yeah, I've been there about 22 years. Wow. So that's probably why I sound a bit weird. No, no I mean, you can still get the Scottish accent, absolutely. <laughs> I had no idea you lived there, though. I thought it was like a trip or something. No, no, I've, I've been there. And I think that's part of the reason why I write about Scotland, to be honest, because it's a bit of a bringing myself home. It's a bit of homesickness. Yeah, of course. What do you love about New York? Uh, I think just the fact that anything is possible. Mm. Um, no matter what you want to do at any time of the day, it's, yeah. it's all there. It can be a bit overwhelming to try and keep up with it. But, yeah. uh, but you know, culture, art, anything, yeah. food. There's so much to do, isn't there? I mean, I went about six years ago, I think it was, and I was just blown away. I, I just didn't get a chance to do everything, and there's so much that I still want to do. So it's yeah. definitely on the list of places to go uh, go back to. We'll come back. It's also always changing. So Is it? You, know, you can come back six years later, and it'll just feel totally different. <laughs> yeah. Like, hang on, I don't remember that being there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I always ask this on my interviews with people. Um, if you had uh, to pick a song to reflect your mood for today, what would your song be? Oh, that's a good question. Bit of an icebreaker. A bit of an icebreaker. You know, a song I can't get out of my head is "Small Town Boy" by Bronski Beat. I've been thinking about that. An awful okay. Lot. Yeah. A bit Amazing. Of Any yeah. particular reason, or just kind of? Uh, you know, I think it's just because it's such a nostalgic song, and it would uh-huh. have been it would have meant so much to my characters uh, mm-hmm. when I was writing the book. But um, I also love because it's a beautiful sunny day in London. You know, do you know the song "Sunny" by Bunny? 
Buddy Heb, I think it is. Um, Not sure. There's a great Dusty Springfield cover. Okay. Great, but it's just such a bit a dusty. Song. Yeah. Amazing. When the sun comes out, it just makes you feel so much better, doesn't it? It's just the last, I mean, I live in Brighton, so, or just in Hove, just near Brighton. So, um, you know, the last few days has been so windy and rainy. And like when the sun comes out, it's just like, oh my goodness, it just does something to your soul and makes you feel better. So um, I was thinking about my uh, my choice of song earlier and I was like, it would have to be something about the sun because it's just like, you feel so much better when it's here. Um, so now that's cool. But, but then I become a miserable Scotsman and I think I've got three <laughs> days of it. And then I'm like, it's too hot. <laughs> Where's, the Where, Where's the shade? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, um, so young Mungo, we're going to talk about the book today. Um, I'm so thrilled to be talking with you because I read this uh, kind of last, well, it was towards the end of last year. I went to Grand Canaria, finished it in the November. And I just, think it's one of the best fiction books i've ever read and i'm not just saying that because you're on the interview with me um i like seriously was gripped from start to finish and there were so many different twists and turns and unexpected things happening within it um and it was a highlight read for me for 2022 so thank you for it um how do you feel i mean obviously it's coming out on paperback now and i mean how does it feel to have had such a great reception to this book it must be like a thrill for you yeah, I, I'm just, I think actually I'm a little bit relieved because <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways, Mungo, Young Mungo was the book I was trying to write, but I right. wrote Chuggy first. And mm-hmm. so I'm incredibly proud of the book. I think I matured as a as a writer. Yeah. Um, but it's a book that deals with quite hard subject matter. Mm. It deals with toxic masculinity and male vulnerability and uh, sexual trauma and mm. and also gang violence. It, it mm. says a lot of difficult things about the society we live in. And so I'm actually very relieved that people have taken it to their heart because, uh-huh. um, you know, I, I try to be very honest in my work. I try to say what I feel needs to be said rather than what people want to hear or what will maybe bring them some comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just so happy he's out in the world. And, and I think it's great to see sort of working class queer stories. I was a young man who grew up on queer stories, but they often came from the middle or the upper class or from very privileged worlds. So I'm I'm really happy that, you know, that people have taken Mungo and James to heart. Yeah, absolutely. It was just incredible. It was just... I remember just reading it and and actually what the first thing that really stuck out for me was obviously it was written in, in the accent as well. So there was, I kind of almost adjusted this voice in my head to kind of, you know, to make it sound, uh, sound Scottish. And yeah, it was just, it just gripped me from start to finish. I thought it was so, so good. And I thought what was really lovely about it as well is that there clearly is so much toxicity within the the book and the relationships. And, but there's also this underlying kind of, there is a love there which you can't deny, but it's just so messed up and chaotic that when you actually step into the character's shoes, you kind of realise, like Momo, for example, I mean, she's completely messed up, isn't she? But actually underlying it all, there's something there which, you know, she's trying to be who she can be, but she can't quite get there. And I was kind of, I don't know, obviously we can't give anything away because we want people to go out and buy the book and it's just incredible. But I have to say, the the things that really stuck out for me was A, when Mongo finds his strength when he goes on the fishing trip and you know, this, he becomes this tornado of like strength. He's just like, right. And then when he comes back and the family then are finally there for him at the mm-hmm. end. And that was just such a moment for me. I was like, wow, that's, you know, Hamish and the, the and co, they all kind of stood up in the end. They're like, okay, 
we, we need to be there for this person. And I thought that was just a really nice, it was really unexpected, but a really nice way to kind of um, finish the book. So I I just loved it from start to finish. It was just, and there were so many moments when I was sitting there and my husband was next to me and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> and I think that's, that's the great thing about a book when you completely lose yourself into that world. Um, so you must be thrilled that it's now being turned into a TV drama as well. I mean, I mean that's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, the, the thrill lasts for about 15 minutes and then the worry just comes in that you, <laughs> that you might ruin something. But that's really what I've been doing for the past couple of years is working on television adaptations of mm-hmm. both Shuggy and Mungo. Mm-hmm. And actually having to learn is such a different craft, the craft of screenwriting and drama. And so there's been so many drafts when I say you know, there's upwards of 20 drafts of every episode. It's it's really been a trial and error process. And and finding out, you have to tell the story in a very different way mm-hmm. where the arc keeps people wanting to come back because you'll actually stay with a book because um, you want to follow the writer through a landscape and you want of to course. follow them through lives. But with television or with drama, you won't stay if you're bored or you get lost. You'll, mm. you'll look at your phone, you'll turn over, you'll do something else. And so it's been a wonderful skill as a writer to learn and also... Um, this answer doesn't demonstrate this, but you also have to learn the skill of brevity or editing. You know, you have to get to it. Um, And I can be quite a long-winded person, as you can probably tell. And in terms of, you know, that whole process, I guess it's very different. I mean, is there a a worry that you lose the essence of what you've written originally within the screenplay? Because I guess it's, as you say, your hooks are going to be different. The way you write is going to be very different to keep people engaged. So have you had to compromise anything within that process? Or do you feel like the essence of the story is, is still there? No, I think you definitely lose something and you have to be open to some kind of transformation because Mm -hmm. you have to tell the story in a very different way. Everything has to be seen or understood visually um, Mm -hmm. and can't really sort of fill in. Or you could have a voiceover, but I'm not a fan of that. Mm -hmm. And so you have to really frame everything and show different scenes and different events in a way that makes sense. But the truth is, is, you know, as a young working class man, I didn't have any books at home as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't turn to literature, but we watched everything on telly and we Mm -hmm. paid very close attention to the stories there. And so when I was offered the opportunity to translate my work for screen, I thought it was an important thing for me to Mm -hmm. take control of because I realized there are young working class men and women that might not read Mungo, but would get something from the story. And I wanted to be very protective of my characters and make mm-hmm. sure they showed up in an authentic way that was very true to my mm-hmm. to my intent. So, um, so that's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And I guess is there something about like telling the stories that were always there but weren't really talked about as well? I mean, for you know, especially from where you where you come from, it's important to represent the place as it is, but actually let the truth of those people be there as well. Is that quite important for you? Yeah, I think it's a big reason why I write. I mean, there's lots of canons of you know industrial literature that talk Mm. about thatcherism and what we went through but they're often told from a heterosexual male experience and i wanted just to foreground a character in shuggy bane for instance a character that felt like my mother this very proud defiant um really strong single mother who we Mm. never hear about in those very masculine uh, macho environments and also queer lives through shuggy Mm. and through mungo because we know growing up in the 80s and 90s under um, the scourge of Section 28 at the height of the first AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. um, in a time of really nationalised homophobia all throughout the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. stoked by the tabloids, by all the other sorts of um, 
ways we were receiving hate, that we don't really get to look at queer characters in these working class spaces because the best thing you could be is invisible, mm-hmm. um, like the safest thing you could be. And in fact, that was the whole reason why I wrote Young Mungo because I wanted to write a love story between two young men mm-hmm. that I never had. Yeah. And it wasn't that there weren't other gay people around me. It was that no one was allowed to be visible. Um, those stories were being talked about. That's right. And actually, you know, when queerness intersects with class, the stakes are entirely different. You know, mm-hmm. the consequences, the worldview, your mobility, your ability to up and leave and get out of a bad situation, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm writing about and what's important to me is that the characters remain in the place that they are because that's yeah. where they belong. But they're trying to figure out how to fit in there. Mm-hmm. When the world doesn't accept their masculinity when it doesn't accept how they express themselves because really all men are expressing their masculinity in a very narrow very mm-hmm. hard way mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i think it's brilliant and i think also what you touched upon there is section 28 and obviously that time i think changing the narrative is incredibly important isn't it you know the stories we hear from that time such you know propaganda from in the press and the government and the media was so negative towards the community so of course to write a story which you know is still very kind of raw, I think is incredibly important, but actually to tell a different side of that life as well. Actually, there was a love story and there was someone finding their way. And actually that was more common than people talked about. I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Obviously you live in New York now. What about the feedback from home? Is you know, have you had people that you still know back in Scotland talk about this the book and give you feedback on that time? Or what how's the reaction been? Yeah, the reaction's been great, I think, because I think we don't often get to share our queer stories in that mm. way. And we've had such um we've had such advances in the past thirty years. And actually Glasgow's now voted the eighth best place to be gay in the world. Oh, amazing. Um, and I think that's great. And yeah. I think actually it also makes perfect sense because it's always been a place that's very compassionate, yeah. full of camaraderie, full mm. of sort of togetherness and acceptance. Mm. Um but you know, it's been um we've had so much advance so quickly that sometimes we skip over our collective trauma or we skip over the hard mm-hmm. parts. And also when we allow sort of middle-class voices to dominate media or what we digest or what we see or what we read, then we completely erase working-class voices or, or people yeah. who might not be feeling the advances at the same pace as everyone living in a big liberal city, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's I actually have found the feedback around the novel has people have found it very necessary to sort of talk about the bit that we would rather not talk about. Do you know what I mean? Or the yeah. bit we were taught not to, because so many young men and women in that age were told to feel such deep shame about their mm-hmm. queerness or about their sexuality. And if not shame, then enormous fear, either mm-hmm. from a religious point of view or from a health point of view mm-hmm. because of because of AIDS. And I just wanted to show a very unapologetic love story. Here are two young men who love each other and will go through just about anything for each other. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's really it. And um, yeah, I'm very proud of them. It's amazing. And, and I thought the characters as well were very typical of that time in terms of, you know, like Hamish being the brother of, you know, man up and, you know, what's what's mm. wrong with you? And it's, again, it's all those kind of messages that as a queer person growing up in the 80s, before and after that you probably heard, oh, you know, that person's effeminate, they must be gay or whatever. And it's just, I think those kind of, that narrative is important to, to write about because I think it's, you know, there'll be so many people that see those comments as flippant remarks or, 
you know, that don't do anything, but actually they wound people and that shame people carry for many years to come. So I think yeah. to portray that in the book again was really, really important. So it it was just incredible. And even talking about it right now, I need to read it again, quite frankly, because it was just fab. Do you think there's a second book? Is there another story after this? Because well, there was kind of like a stuff that was on top, like <laughs> stuff. We know what happened with a couple of characters, but actually, you know, could this be a, I don't know, like a, a franchise where there's more stories, not just young Mungo, but other other people as well. Well, I mean, very observant readers will see that Shuggy weaves into Mungo. They just glance, as uh-huh. as you do when you live in a large city. You know, yeah. lives bump into each other. Yeah. And so, in a way, I was making a comment about how we've all we're all here. We just are sometimes not known to each other. Yeah. Um, we pass each other's lives, and then only you know you just don't know if another person's queer or what they're yeah. going through or what they've experienced. And so, in a way, I guess I'm. I'm I'm trying to show that there is a whole universe of a community out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will revisit it. Maybe I'll revisit it in the future and bring Shuggy and Mungo together. But I know it's not going to be my next book. I need to okay. I need to get a little bit more distance from it. I think. But one of the characters that I I really love in the novel is Mister Calhoun, who is Mungo's uh, neighbor who lives on the ground floor. Yes. Um, yes. the building and at the beginning of the book the the kids that live up the tenement close are taught to be very afraid of mr calhoun yeah because he's a bachelor mm-hmm. but he's also quite effeminate in a way and so the community has decided that he's a bad man that yeah. he's a bogeyman that kids mm-hmm. should stay away from mm-hmm. now he as i won't spoil anything but as the book um goes along, we, we learn that he's actually a hero, that he's one of the few people in Mungo's life that will support him and help him and, and put him yeah. on the right path. And he is a, uh, a gay, a queer working class man who grew up in a time where there just was nothing for him. Right. Uh, you know, he couldn't fall in love where he was. He couldn't express his queerness. He had to really just get on with his job and his life and be very discreet and very quiet. Mm. He couldn't go to a large metropolitan city. Right. And I was thinking a lot about not just the queer lives of my generation that were erased, but but really for hundreds of generations before us or hundreds of years. And I was talking to a friend once and um, she was a woman in her 60s and she said, you know, growing up when I was a, a little girl, I had an Uncle Andrew and Uncle Andrew was great. We loved him so much. And then one day Uncle Andrew disappeared and like my mum and my dad and my other aunts and uncles never mentioned him again. And my friend said that in her 60s, she'd gone and tracked down Andrew and it turns out Andrew had moved to London and had been gay and had had to leave family and leave the community and leave everything and build his own life in London. Mm. And she said, which was really interesting to me, she said, you know, what loss for Andrew? Like all this stuff that he lost. He said, but actually the loss was for us because I lost my uncle and we could have had such. And I'd never considered that before. I'd never considered what other people lose when they don't allow queer people to be in their spaces or in their families or in their communities. And it's It's that narrow-mindedness, isn't it, of, oh, that person shouldn't be around they're gone and actually it takes away so much from other as you say other people's lives and everybody think, loses absolutely and i think those com- those stories are so common and probably more common than we actually actually realize but um yeah, yeah it's it's a very sad situation but i think again it's important that those and it's great that you know he was mentioned in the book as well because that is a reality of of that time isn't it you know there will be so many people that are queer people from the older generation which you know wish for a different life and i think that's in a way you know some one thing that really interests me is queer history and i've got some live shows coming up in a few weeks and i'm going to be talking about queer history for one of those as well 
And I think it's really important that as a community, you know, I'm in my late thirties, but I think it's really important that we honor the past and, you know, those people are giants really, aren't they? People that fought for, you know, our rights and lived their life in fear or lived their life in a way where they had to compromise really have given or afforded us so much. So it's like, I think it's important to to pay respect to, to queer history and, and keep talking about it. So I think it's great that, you know, books include characters like that. It's fantastic. So Shuggy's obviously finished. It's wrapped, isn't it? You know, that's, that's ready to be um, released. Is it the summer it comes on the BBC? Is that right? No, no. Um, hopefully we start filming next year. So oh. the series is written and we're building um, towards starting shooting, I hope. Hopefully sometime. Uh, ne- yeah, these things are very slow. Um, <laughs> um, but it, And also because, frankly, it's a period drama. You know, we think of the 80s as quite recent, mm. but we've, we've, the city has changed so much, people have changed so much, that actually we have to recreate that time very faithfully. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> makes me feel very old. You know, I, I, was I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, no, I must have read something recently then that maybe it's it had been written or something and it was going into production or or whatever. But um, yeah, I read that and I assumed because Mungo had been signed that Shuggy was kind of done and, and ready. But no, that's exciting. There's, there's always a lag to these things. Yeah. Okay. So when can we expect uh, Mungo to be? Is that kind of 2025? You thinking or is it? I, I don't know, actually. That's a great question. But, um, you know, I think one of the things, I don't know, but one of the things that will be exciting about it is the, the opportunity to discover young, new talent. Mm-hmm. Both the, the kids that will play Shuggy and, uh, yeah, also, and also the kids that play Mungo and James. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm hoping that's going to be a really good opportunity for, you know, for young Glaswegian actors and, and hopefully young queer Glaswegian actors Absolutely. To, to step into these characters. But, I don't know when it's when it will make the screen. It's it's a funny business, and actually, as a novelist, it's a weird thing because you have such control over your own work, and you know it's really just your baby, mm. it's your creation. But then, when you build something for television, there's so many teams and so many people who have a stake in it. Yeah, that you absolutely. Have to learn to work in a very collaborative way. Yeah, I interviewed um, for my last season. I'm actually interviewing in a few weeks again. Um, S. J. Watson, who uh, wrote "Before I Go to Sleep." Obviously, the film was turned into. Uh, a, sorry, the book was turned into a film with Nicole Kidman and and whatnot. And he was talking about being on the set and watching it come to life and seeing the characters, like the person that he'd written about and imagined, being there in a wig in Nicole Kidman. And it was like it's just the strangest thing to to see, but the most kind of wonderful thing as well so i'm sure it's going to be amazing when you get to see it all kind of come to life and so i hope so nerve-wracking at the moment yeah of course and are you still writing at the moment or are you kind of trying to get this book out and then have a bit of a break are you you needing some time (laughs) out (laughs) no i think when you're a writer you can't stop writing it just you're i'm not saying it's always very good but you know i'm i'm writing all the time and so i'm working towards my third novel and amazing and in a way they are uh, it's not. It doesn't take place in Glasgow, but there's mm-hmm. cycles of uh, of man of growing up, of coming of age as queerness. If Shuggy is that sort of pre-sexual desire youth, mm-hmm. and then Mungo is that first sexual desire, yeah. then my next novel will centre on uh, a slightly older queer man in Scotland, amazing, sort of now trying to like build a life and, yeah. and where do I belong. Mm-hmm. it's kind of chosen family elements going to be in that as well do you think yeah there is yeah there is there's um there is uh i don't think chosen family will be the focus of this book because what he's uh, trying to survive is his actual family okay um, <laughs> <laughs> Even when we, we, we all do that we then have to find the chosen family to give us the strength don't we <laughs> yeah, absolutely exactly, oh, exactly. Awesome. 
it's been so lovely to talk to you thank you so much for your time it's incredible thank i you. loved the book so much i just thought it was wonderful and um yeah everyone should go and get a copy and I've, I've said on my ad for this as well for this interview that um it's perfect now it's in paperback because it's holiday season so people can grab it at the airport go and read it on the beach and uh, and enjoy so um yeah, yeah but just thank you it's incredible and i cannot wait wait to read the next one as well i'm really excited about that Thank you so much. Yeah, paperback's perfect because you can take two Scottish boys and get them some sunshine. (laughs) Take them to the beach with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Have a great day and good luck with all the promo and everything. And um, yeah, hopefully speak to you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. It's lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. Take care. I really hope you enjoyed the show. A big thank you once again to all my guests. Please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like, and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also check out my website, www.fluiactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.